Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Amen. And as you are returning to your seats, let's turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Last week, we covered, amen, the greater portion of the second chapter of Acts, and we dealt with Simon Peter's sermon, his preaching on the day of Pentecost, and today we're going to pick up with Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We're going to read this last portion, this last segment of the second chapter of Acts, beginning of verse 42 and going into verse 47. The Bible says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship in breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And in that atmosphere, the Lord added to the church daily. Amen. That's how God wants the church to be added to daily, such as should be saved. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. I want to continue tonight, and uh, you can be seated talking on, again, as the English Standard Version has uh captured and summarized this segment of scripture and they've identified this as the fellowship of the brethren amen the fellowship everybody say fellowship now honestly we had planned on doing the interest group thing and talking about the importance of fellowship before I really looked at what we're going to be talking about tonight and uh, it's just amazing to me the week that we talked about suddenly Amen. The week that we talk about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, Asbury took place. Amen. And uh, now, you know, we're talking about fellowship and we're talking about the Lord adding to the church daily. And it happens to be on the night where we emphasize fellowship. I, I, I didn't write the Bible. I didn't choose the order it would fall in. But I do, to me, as the pastor, you might look at it and say, well, of course, pastor, you choreograph. Well, first of all, I didn't have anything to do with Asbury. All right, I didn't have anything to do with that. I wish I could take credit. I can't take credit for that. Amen. That was God doing that. And again, tonight was not choreographed. It just has worked out that way. Amen. And um, one thing I do want to pause and just say, I know we have several ladies in the church and connected to the church that are uh, entering into the last stages of their pregnancy. I know Sister Jessica Gonsalves, Sister Jessica Monk formerly, uh, is... Any day now, like maybe any moment, like we could get the text right now that the, the baby is here. So we want to pray for uh, her. Also, we want to pray. Um, let's see. Let me make sure I get everything right here. Amen. You all know this is where I blow it, right? Sister Katie Craner. That's okay if I tell people now. Right? <laughs> is uh, getting down to weeks, right? Weeks away. 
So it could be any minute, really, right? Once you get within the segment of where they're at. And uh, so we want to keep Sister Katie. Amen. I don't, I don't think the Sylvias are excited at all. No. Amen. We want to keep them in our prayers as well. Amen. All right. This is where I pause and make sure I know what I'm doing. I'm safe with that one, Jess. Josh and Jess are expecting it. You all knew that, right? For the for the for a good, you know, five or six months, Jess wasn't even showing anything. Now finally, we could tell she's having a baby. Uh, but but we're getting what a couple weeks away from Carly, right? Two weeks, two and a half weeks away. So Carly, Marley, Marley, not Carly, Marley. See this is, see this is why you got to write things down. Uh, Marley is going to be born in two and a half weeks, and so we're excited for Marley. What's that, Stephen? Mar- <laughs> I thought you were saying at me. I was like, I didn't know. I'm all right. <laughs> Marge is saying no, not in me. All right. So let's see. I think that's where I stop, right, Sister Valerie? That's where I stop. All right. Yeah, now I get to teach. All right. This is what I do best. I'll just get in the Bible and follow what the Bible says. Good to have James and Carly here with us. That's where I was getting Carly from. Carly is here tonight. And their friend, again, from Louisiana. I didn't get to meet you yet, so I don't know your name. So, I, Allison, good to have you with us and your son. Good to have Vincent. Jason. Jensen. All right, Jensen. I'll get it right one of these times. Jensen. And uh, All right, I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. And good to have my dad and mom here. Amen. And brother and sister to Temple, our missionaries to the Republic of Georgia. Amen. It's good to have Esther and Elijah with them as well. Amen. All right. The fellowship of the brethren. And I want to look at, first of all, the response of the church to Pentecost. Amen. How did the church respond to the day of Pentecost? Uh, So we begin in Acts 2.41. Just going to back up one verse. The Bible said, they that gladly received his word were baptized And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So that same day, the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls are brought into the kingdom. And this verse concludes everything that had taken place on the day of Pentecost. The suddenly that we talked about a couple of weeks ago that resulted in 120 being filled in the upper room. Uh, Simon Peter's convicting and convincing sermon to the devout Jews of Jerusalem that we talked about last week that resulted in them having the opportunity to respond to that preaching, right, that moved them from being cut to the heart to gladness of heart. Amen. That's what happens when we respond to the preaching is it, there's, there's, it, it takes the heaviness, the conviction when we respond, whether that be through repentance or whatever it may be, that, that there's a transformation that takes place when we respond to the preaching of the word, and then that all culminates in 3,000 being added to the church. And here's the issue that I want to address tonight. The issue is that many times in the modern church, we have moments that don't lead to momentum, right? We have seasons, but they're not sustained, all right? We might have a service like Sunday. What an incredible service we had on Sunday, amen. The first time in a long time, that we've had to have the ushers set out chairs to accommodate the crowd that was gathering. Amen. I believe that should happen every Sunday. Amen. And uh, baptized 
Amen. Baptize Cowan in Jesus' name. And many, um, you know, that haven't been here in a while or uh, maybe that were on the edge or fringe, I would say, came and were in the altars and getting breakthroughs and repenting and getting back where they need to be with God. Amen. That's a great Sunday. Amen. But, but the, 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 the challenge is that many times we have a great service like that and we don't, it's not sustained. It's, it's hit or miss. It happens one Sunday and then we go back the next Sunday to wondering, you know, what happened. Why, 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 did, why was last Sunday what it was and this Sunday it seems like something is missing. Right? We might have that service where we get the breakthrough, but then the next service it feels like we're running through molasses, which I don't know that anybody's done that, but the visual still works. Right? We might even have a stretch of months. I know, you know for a long time, I would say even up until COVID, uh, that kind of changed everything in so many ways, but up until COVID, you could kind of plan that September through you know, November is going to be momentum. There's going to be momentum. People are coming back from vacations and getting back into school and you know, kind of just that, that fresh commitment is being made. And as a pastor, I would know that's going to be a season of momentum. And then, obviously, starting the new year when people are making resolutions and the holidays are over and, you know, kind of that January through Easter, you're going to have momentum that is there. And, and I also knew on the converse of that, you know, summer, you're going to lose some momentum. And then the holiday season, people are going to be traveling, so you're going to lose some momentum. Uh, but the, the point being that even though that has kind of changed we might have a season where we are experiencing wonderful moves of God, seeing people delivered and set free, and then it seems like just as quickly as we had gained that momentum, it's gone, and we don't know where it went. Why is that? Why, why is that that we're not able to take a moment and turn it into a movement, right? Take a, a moment and turn it into momentum. I believe it's for this reason, because we wrongfully prioritize some elements of the scripture over others. All right, and I'll explain what I mean by that. And, and, and not what I mean by that, what I believe the scripture bears out. Because for some, we over-spiritualize what it takes to sustain momentum. Right? We over-spiritualize it. Like, like Simon Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? He has this great spiritual moment. And what is his response to that? Well, let's just build three temples and let's just stay here. Right, if we could just live every Sunday in this place of transfiguration, then you know that, that would give us the momentum that we need. That would give us the move that we need. Let's just stay here in this place of transfiguration. Right? We believe this over-spiritualization of what it takes to sustain momentum. We believe that the key to sustain revival and expand the move of God is let's just have 24-7 prayer meetings. And I'm not I'm not downgrading that, okay? All right, or let's just have a preaching marathon where we all just stay at church and, you know, let's have church every night this week and, and, and have prayer meetings all the way up until church and then we'll preach and that's how we will create momentum. And I'm certainly, again, I'm not downplaying that. For others, the reason we don't have momentum is because we don't want the personal sacrifice that it takes to sustain momentum. As long as our church commitment is a three-hour window on Sunday and a two-hour on Wednesday. As long as that's all you're asking of me, maybe an hour here or an hour there on a few other days, we're good. But when it, when it requires personal involvement with others beyond our church time, right, beyond those little blocks of time that we built into our calendar that we say that's my church time and that's where I'm at Living Hope, but when it begins to infringe on the 
on the, the, the spectrum of our time outside of that, we check out. All right, y'all with me still? Y'all were good as long as I was talking to two spiritual people. But revival requires sacrifice. All right, revival is going to cost you not something. It's going to cost you everything. And that's why we don't sustain momentum for those two reasons. is because we over-spiritualize what it takes or we're unwilling to sacrifice what it takes. Can I say tonight, this is not the desire or the will of God. God does not give us spiritual moments for it to just be that moment. God did not pour out his spirit in the upper room for it to stay in the upper room. God didn't fill 3,000 souls with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost for it to stay at 3,000 souls. God gives us moments so that we can have momentum. God gives us Things like we had this Sunday morning, a move of God that was powerful, and they set out rows of, of chairs so that next Sunday we can set out two rows of chairs, amen, so that the Sunday after that we're having to get together and say we might need to have an extra service. Why? Because God gives us moments so that we can begin to see momentum. Amen. He never intended for the upper room to be the completion or the finality of the promise it was meant to be the beginning of the promise. And I believe that right now living hope is in a season of momentum. Amen. I believe that God is giving us a moment. I believe that God is giving us a supernatural move of his spirit. Amen. I do believe that what we saw this Sunday, God did not intend for that to be the end of what he's doing. Rather, he intended for that to be the beginning of what he is doing. But it's up to us. It's up to us whether this will be a moment or whether it will be momentum. The next segment of the scripture, as I, I didn't, again, I don't write the Bible and I'm not in charge of the ESV. All right. I, I'm not, I don't control the, the group at ESV who says what the scripture will be categorized. But whoever they are, they decided that this next segment of scripture would be qualified or summarized as the fellowship of the brethren. How does the church respond to an outpouring of the Holy? How does the church sustain Pentecost? And I believe the answer is the fellowship of the brethren is how you sustain an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Amen. How you sustain a move of God, how you take a moment and turn it into a movement, how you take a moment and turn it into momentum is through the fellowship of the brethren. Yes, we need prayer, but... But we also need fellowship. Yes, we need Simon Peter to stand up on the day of Pentecost. But how you sustain that word that went forth on Sunday is through the fellowship of the brethren. Amen. The first words that I want to draw our attention to as we look into this passage that I want us to recognize that spoke to the focus of this church just coming out of, I mean, can you imagine one Sunday, one service? 3,000 souls plus the 120. So 3,120 souls. And if you, I think that's really, I don't know, I think it says plus women and children. Is that, is that accurate? So there, there could have been more. But let's just say, you know, nowadays, if, they, if you know, we, we tend to, um, if a few got the Holy Ghost, we're like, man, I think a 1,000 got it today. I think in Bible times, they kind of erred on the side of being cautious, right? And, and it could have been more than what it was. Anyway, that, that's, um, some of you, I'm just... I'm being uh, facetious right now. All right, so 
They can, here's the words I want to draw our attention to. The Bible says they continued steadfastly. Amen. They continue, it, it's speaking of the mindset of this church that's just come out of the greatest moment in church history. Right? The, the establishing of the New Testament church. The promise that had been given, spoken of by the prophets Joel. Amen. And, and the various prophets that spoke of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And they've just seen it come to pass. 3,000 that before were not believers are converted and speaking with other tongues in one day. And the church says, you know what? If we're going to take this moment and turn it into momentum, we've got to continue steadfastly. Okay, It's not up to God whether the moment becomes momentum. It's up to us. God can do it. God wants to do it every day. Such as should be added, right? That's how the Lord wants to do it. But it's our attitude and our response as to whether it will be a moment or whether it will be momentum. And so I believe today that God is asking living hope. Are you ready to continue steadfastly? The English Standard Version says it this way, they devoted themselves. Here's some synonyms of the word steadfast. Inflexible, immovable, unwavering, staunch, firm, fixed, wholehearted. The things that, and here in just a moment, we're going to look at what they were steadfastly committed to, that they were continuing steadfastly in. But the, the mindset was simply this. This was not some half-hearted, uncertain, spare time, dipping their toe in the shallow end approach. It was an all-in focus. And you know you get to that swimming pool and you're not sure how the water is. You just kind of dip your toe in. Amen. You're, you're probably not getting in the water if that's your approach. But I, I, I like the guy that just goes down the deep end and just takes a run and jump and cannonball into the deep end. And that's what the early, that's what the church is doing here. They're saying, we're not dipping our toes in this. We're doing a cannonball on the, off the deep end. Amen. We are all in. There's no turning back. We're not wavering. They determined as soon as 3,000 souls were added to the church that there were going to be some things that they were continuing themselves in and there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There was no, no matter what. It was a no matter what, rather. All right, no matter what, steadfastly, we're continuing in, we're devoting ourselves to these core principles, which were the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. They said, we're going to continue. In the, if we're going to take that moment where we saw 120 in the upper room and we experienced that rushing mighty wind, amen, and, and we saw 3,000 added to the church, if we're going to take that moment and turn it into momentum, if we're going to take that moment and turn it into a movement, and what happened in that upper room can happen in any room. If we're going to do that, then we're going to have to commit ourselves to these four things. One is the apostles' doctrine. Two is fellowship. Three is the breaking of bread. And four are prayers. Now, it's important that we look at each of these, that they were, they were, they were talking about them uh, in activities that were done in community. All right? So apostles' doctrine. The they... That prefaces the continuing steadfastly, right? It says they continued steadfastly. It's not just speaking of the apostles. It's speaking of the church. The 3,000 that just were added to the church, that had just received the Holy Ghost, they were continuing steadfastly in what? First of all, apostles' doctrine. They all were continuing. What, what is apostles' doctrine? It means the apostles' teaching. All right, they were... The 3,000 were committed to the, what does that mean? They were, they were committed to go and sit at the feet of the apostles. They were committed to learning. 
All right, so that was a group effort. How many of you know for teaching to be effective, there's got to be more than one person in the room? Amen. For teaching to be effective, there has to be a teacher and there has to be a student. All right, there has to be somebody speaking and there has to be somebody. All right, y'all are with me, right? Right. Even right now, if I'm in here talking and the room is empty, it might be great teaching, but it ain't doing anybody any good. All right? But, but it takes both. And so the Apostles' Doctrine was a community event. Fellowship in the Greek word is koinonia, which we are going to look at in a minute in detail, but it means association or participation. Amen? They continued by participating. It was community participation. Thirdly is communion. Amen? In 1 Corinthians 11, how many of you know when Jesus uh, took communion with his disciples, when he instituted communion, he wasn't by himself, right? It was with the other disciples that were there. Amen? It was, that, it was at that dinner that they shared together where he washed the feet of the disciples, and then they took the, the bread and the cup together, and that was the institution of communion. And then in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul gives instructions surrounding communion in the verses, about 15 to 20 verses that he uh, instructs communion, four times in those verses he says, when you come together. In other words, communion is not a one-man show. All right, you can't take communion by yourself because it, how many of you know the word communion? You kind of community, you know, it's a together thing. You cannot take communion by yourself. That defeats the purpose of what communion is. It's not just forsaking the body of Jesus Christ. It's not just, amen, denying the body, the, the, the physical body, but it's this body of Christ that we, re, that, that we want to respect and reverence when we take communion. And then prayer. This is not, simply speaking of the activity or the discipline of prayer, but in the coming together to pray. In fact, uh, this word that is used here, the Greek word, it can be translated to a place of prayer. So it's talking about all of them coming together. It's corporate prayer. That's what we would call it today. They, they were committed to four things, that we're going to be together in allowing the apostles to teach us. We're going to come together in koinonia, or we're all going to participate. Amen. We're going to all come together in communion, the breaking of bread, and we're all going to come together in one place, and we are going to pray. Amen. But all, none of these are in isolation. All of them are speaking of a place of fellowship. Amen. Now, if I got up tonight, and I'm as a pastor, I said, you know what, we're not going to preach doctrine any longer. All right? I, I think many churches have done that. All right? In fact, I've been counseled by some folks over the years that we should stop, you know, as a pastor, I should stop emphasizing doctrine, and maybe we could grow as a church. Amen. But hopefully, and I think this to be true, that if I got up tonight and said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to stop emphasizing doctrine, and we're not going to make a big deal about prayer around here any longer, I think the majority of you would go find you another church. Am I right? If I'm not, I, I, I'm sad about that. You should. All right, because doctrine is important. Amen. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, continue in the doctrine whereby you save yourself and those that you preach to. You need doctrine. Amen. If I got up tonight and said we're not going to pray any longer, I, I hope that you would be spiritual enough to say, well, then we're going to have to find another church because we know that we need prayer. And, and while many of you would get up and walk out, if I minimize doctrine or prayer, Many of you would rejoice if I did away with fellowship. Okay, a minute ago I told you that the reason we don't have moments don't become momentum is because we, we have some things that aren't, right, our priorities are mixed up. We don't think fellowship is very important. We don't show up for it. That, that's, how do I know that you don't think it? Because you don't come. When we have fellowship events, that's to you, you're saying I don't need to be there. 
Can I tell you that the early church said we're committing to fellowship? Because fellowship is, as, fellowship is what takes that moment in an upper room and turns it into momentum. Fellowship is what takes what happened in the upper room and 3,000 souls being added and says we're gonna, this is going to keep on growing because we are committed to fellowship. Amen. So let's look at fellowship a little bit closer. Again, it's the Greek word koinonia. And uh, word studies in the New Testament defines koinonia as a relation between individuals which involves a common interest and a mutual active participation in that interest and in each other. All right, let me, let me read that one again so you can, I know some of you are writing it down. If you weren't, I'll, I'll encourage you to put it in your notes on your phone, whatever. A relation, koinonia is a relation between individuals which involves a common interest and a mutual active participation in that interest and in each other. All right? We're going we're gonna to visit this for just a few minutes. So we need doctrine. I'm not going to downplay doctrine. We're not doing away with doctrine. Amen. We're, we're going to keep on preaching oneness. We're going to keep on preaching baptism in Jesus' name. We're going to keep preaching the infilling of the Holy Ghost. We're going to keep preaching repentance. Amen. We're going to keep preaching holiness. Those are doctrines. And I'm not downplaying. We're not going to stop praying. Amen. We're going to pray more than we've ever prayed. We need to pray more than we've ever prayed. Corporately. I, I, well, pastor, I do pray on my own. That's not what they were talking about in Acts chapter 2. Amen. They said if we're going to keep this moment going, it ain't enough that we've got our prayer closets. We need to come together and pray. Amen. So let me... Just put a little plug there. I know you can't make it every Monday night, nor do I expect you to, but I am expecting that you're coming, that Monday night prayer should be a priority. Amen. That if you can be here, you need to be here. Amen. We, we need doctrine. We need prayer. We need breaking of bread. We need to, we can't forget the body of Jesus Christ. If we forget Jesus and the sacrifice of Calvary, we got nothing. We need those things, but we also need fellowship. Some believe that if we just prayed all the time and instructed in doctrine without ceasing, that that's how we take a moment and turn it into momentum. And for those that have this mindset, fellowship is nothing more than a waste of time. Amen. You would probably view, and maybe you do, that that's just carnal, carnal pastor wanting us to get together and have a picnic. That's carnal. Amen? Wanting us to get together and go out there and play um, pickleball or whatever. Some of you don't know what pickleball is. You got this image of a guy slap, you know, slapping pickles back and forth. That's not what pickleball is. All right? But, but you got, amen, and you might look at that and say, that, that's just, amen, that's carnal thinking. Let me tell you that that is not carnal. It's, these are not carnal distractions. Amen? The early church was just as devoted to fellowship as they were to prayer. And they were just as devoted to fellowship as they were to doctrine. Amen? Three key elements from this definition of koinonia. One, the relation between individuals that involves a common interest. Amen? For koinonia to be there, there has to be a relationship between two individuals Centering around a common interest. How many of you think we have at least one thing in common here tonight? All right. 
Most of you don't have me and Brother Simpkins' cool hairdo in common. All right? And you, you, not everybody can be as cool as us, but all right. But we all have the gospel in common, yes? We all love Jesus, yes? Right? And we've come tonight. There's fellowship there because we have this in common with one another. But I think we need to, get, we need to, we need to drill down a few levels beyond just our love for Jesus. Amen. We, we got interest groups tonight and we started off and we got some guys together because they like riding motorcycles. And you know what? That's biblical. Not motorcycles. Obviously, I didn't know what those were in the Bible days. But there's a common, that's what koinonia is. It's that we are forming a relationship, amen, that's based upon a common interest that we have with one another. And that's biblical. That's what, exactly what fellowship is. Amen. Again, I'm losing some of you right now because you think I'm swimming down in carnal into the pool. I'm not. That's what allowed the early church to take a moment and turn it into momentum is when they said, you know what, it's not enough for me to sit on a pew next to you on Sunday. I want to get involved in your life. I want to create relationship there. I want to know you on a personal level. And we wonder, why, why do they keep coming in and they're here for a while and then they leave? It's because there's no fellowship. Well, we worship with them. We pray that. No, no, no. It needs to go deeper than that. There's got to be a common interest that we're gathered together around. Amen. Where relationship is being built. Again, you can say, Pastor, I don't think that's very spiritual. You can think whatever you want. But I'm just telling you, one of the smooth stones of this church this year is fellowship. Amen. That we're going to get involved in each other's lives. and It's going to take an investment of your time. We live in a society and a culture that is continually to, working to identify areas that we don't have in common. Koinonia is saying, let's find something we do have in common. There's probably a lot that me and James Phillips don't have in common. I can't get on a boat. I mean, I, Brother Roberts took me out one day, and we're just out in the bay, and I was sick after about an hour. So I don't think I could hang with him, but I think we could both, I could do some damage with him at a buffet bar. Amen. We've got that in common, Right? And, and we can look around this room and there might be areas, and here's what our world is training us to do. Find areas that you don't have in common. Find things that, you're, that separate you and let's focus on that. And you're, you're black and I'm white and you're Republican and I'm Democrat and amen and, and the list goes on. You voted for this guy and I voted for that guy. You like Cracker Barrel pancakes and I like IHOP pancakes and we focus on the things that we don't have in common. But the early church said no, we're going to find the things that we do have in common and we're going to start building relationship around those things. And you can think it's carnal all you want to, but I'm going to tell you what it will do. It'll close the back door. People will stop coming in and leaving the same way they came. Amen. They'll stop coming in and feeling God and then leaving and going back to this world. Why? Because relationship keeps them coming back. Amen. If you agree with that, wave your hand at me. I want to see who don't agree with me right now. I'm kidding. All right, that's one, one. That's the first part of it. Second part of that definition of koinonia is mutual and active participation in that interest. Fellowship cannot be attained without my active participation. When I find that common interest, I have to participate in it. Just knowing that we both like coffee is not fellowship. When I invite you to come and join me for a cup of coffee, that becomes fellowship. Well, when you show up, right, then that becomes fellowship. Amen. Just knowing that we both like to play golf is not fellowship. 
But when we get together and go out for a round of golf and I show you that I don't know how to play, then it becomes fellowship. Right? Just knowing that you both know how to crochet or do needlework, that's not fellowship. But when you get together and have one of those wild crochet parties, that... I don't know if you can do that. I don't know if it's even possible. That, when you get together around that interest and you participate in it, that is when it becomes fellowship. And it is okay, I would say, for fellowship not to be a prayer meeting. It's okay for it to be. But the early church, there was a differentiation between them praying together and them fellowshipping together. Yes, they prayed together, but they also fellowshiped together. Yes, they got together and heard the apostles teach and preach, but they also got together around some common interests that they had. Why? Because it takes all of that for the church to continue to grow. And we can keep on praying and we can keep on preaching and the church will just keep on staying the same size it is until we say, you know what, it's time to get that smooth stone of fellowship. Amen. And let's participate. Let's participate. And, and it's this participation that, that opens the door for more spiritual activity. There's an old saying that goes like this. There's a lot of wisdom in it. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. Amen? Amen. You, 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 you go on a, you know, go play golf or go have a cup of coffee and get into conversation. That person knows that this isn't just part of a, you know, a church structure and part of you know, some system that we've put in place, but they see that you're really trying to learn about them and you care about them. All of a sudden, the door opens up and they start sharing things with you. And now they're open to a Bible study with you. Why? Because you, you went the extra step of, of actively participating in that interest that you shared. And then the last part of this definition is mutual and active participation in each other. Amen. It's mutual and active. So yes, it is mutual active participation in the interest. But it's also a mutual and active participation in each. And that's, that's not just for the new people. All right. There, I, I would dare say there's some people that come to this church every Sunday that feel alone. That, that don't really feel like they, that anybody cares about what they're going through. And how many of you know that they are ripe for the picking? The enemy is just one offense away from driving them out of the church. Let me tell you what can remedy that right now is fellowship. What can remedy that is you kind of breaking out of your comfort zone of friends that you always hang out with and go find somebody and find something that you have in common with them and spend some time investing in them. Everybody in this church should feel a part of this body. Everybody in this church should feel connected to the body of Christ. Everybody in this church. Shame on us if we can spend time with the new people that come in, but we can't spend time with one another. Amen? Getting involved in the lives of others. I'm not talking about being intrusive. Right? All up in each other's business. I'm not talking about that. Nor am I talking about being in one another's lives without boundaries. Boundaries are positive and they are healthy. But biblical fellowship cannot be fulfilled without mutual, it's mutual, and active participation in the lives of others. Okay? Everybody underline in your brain mutual and active. It's got to be mutual. There's got to be on both sides participation in this thing. Koinonia. 
Well, pastor, I shake people's hands those five minutes between Sunday school and that ain't koinonia. All right. Pastor, I hang out for coffees and, and you know, cookie, uh, cookie and coffee, whatever we have on Wednesday night at the church. I do my fellowship, but that, that ain't koinonia. All right. Koinonia cannot be fulfilled in five minutes between Sunday school and worship service. Amen. That quick handshake and how's the family on your way out to the parking lot is not koinonia. Amen. It is fellowship that gains us leverage to instruct someone in doctrine. To gain the insight about what's really going. If you don't know anybody, are you really going to open up to them about the things you need prayed about in your life? Be honest. If you don't know anybody. I mean, if you're really at a place of desperation, yeah, maybe. But if I don't know you, and you come up, you know, hey, how can I pray for you? And be like, well, I got problems. All right, that's about it. I'm not giving you any more info. But if I know you. If I know you, if we've sat across the table and we've had conversations and we've shared lunch together and we've had coffee together and we played around the golf together, and, amen, whatever that common interest may be, amen, now I know that I can trust you. Now when I'm going through something, amen, the Bible tells us that we should bear one another's burden. We can't do that without koinonia. We cannot do that effectively without fellowship. Amen, I believe this. When Living Hope believes in, I know this church knows how to pray, and I know you love preaching and you love teaching, but I believe the missing link, I believe the thing that's going to take this church over the top and move us from a moment to momentum that's going to blow the doors off of this church, and we're not going to be a church of two or three hundred. We're going to be a church of five, six, seven, eight hundred, a thousand. Is when we see the importance and we become devoted to fellowship. I believe that is when we're going to see sustained growth. Amen. Amen. When this church becomes devoted to fellowship, that is what's going to enable us to translate moments into momentum and will allow us to see witness uh, seasons of revival become sustained. Amen. It happens to the best of us. It's all right. Their devotion. I'm almost done. I told you I was going to cut a little bit short. I'm all, well, yeah, I'm almost, I'm getting closer. I'm flipping through my notes now. Uh, pause on that almost done. I'm, I'm getting closer to being almost done. How about that? Their devotion to these priorities. Right? What were the four priorities? Apostles' doctrine, fellowship, communion, and prayer. Their devotion, and all of those were corporate. Their devotion to these priorities and practices in verse 42 led to the atmosphere that came in verse 43. And what is that atmosphere? The Bible says fear came upon every soul. And we're like, well, that's not what we want. Well, let's explain. And then it says, and, right, colon, right, that's the punctuation used, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. This does not mean that the church was full of fear, that the church was scared of something. Peter Wagner in his commentary on the book of Acts explains they were in awe of the power of God that was constantly being manifested around them. I brought out the punctuation there because it's important to us understanding what was happening in verse 43. The usage of the punctuation of the colon mark that is there in the passage indicates that the statement before the mark is explained by the, or rather is ex, yeah, explained by the explanation that follows that punctuation. In other words, 
The Bible is saying there was great awe that came upon the church. And the reason that there was this awe or this reverence is because there were many signs and wonders that were taking place in the church. What created those signs and wonders that were going on? It was their devotion to prayer. It was their devotion to fellowship. It was their devotion to the communion. And it was their devotion, amen, to the apostles' doctrine. Those things together created an environment where many signs and wonders were done. And that brought a sense of awe and respect. Every Sunday, I I believe that God wants to start healing people in this church. I believe God wants to start pouring out his spirit, not some Sundays, but every Sunday. And when that begins to happen, there's going to be an awe and a reverence that takes place. People are going to come in expecting God to do great things. And, and one of the great frustrations is how, how do we turn moments into momentum? I promise you, if I could come up with a course that guaranteed pastors, how do you turn a moment into momentum? I could sell that thing for $1,000 and never have to work another day in my life because every pastor, I'd want to buy it. If I made it, I wouldn't have to, but you get my point. Everybody, because there's a frustration. How many of you have wondered that? God, how do we take this and sustain it to where we can expand into this community and reach? That should be our desire. That we want, to, we want to impact this city. I don't want to just be here. I want to impact this city. I want to see lives transformed. How do we go from a move of God to a movement of God? How do we translate a great service into a season? How do we have continual environment where suddenly moves of the Spirit of God are taking place consistently? Look in Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 very quickly at the environment that is present when the Holy Ghost is poured out. How many times, I already did it, so I highlighted every time that the word all, one, every, or each is used, right? Just in verses one through four of Acts chapter two, right? Several times, I write them down here. They were all with one accord. The sound filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto all of them cloven tongues, each of them cloven tongues. It sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Just in those few verses, what are, we, what are those words communicating? Unity, togetherness, right? Anybody with me? I'm not stretching that, am I? Okay, all, Acts 2, right before the Holy Ghost is poured out, at the moment that the Holy Ghost is poured out, that is the environment in the upper room. There is a togetherness. They're in one mind and they're in one accord. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Now, Let's move on to verses 43 through 47. And let's look at the environment here. Right? This is just after the day of Pentecost. Amen. Great fear comes on every soul. All that believed were together, had all things in common. They all continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They did all eat with gladness and singleness of heart. Amen. Do you, do you, do you feel what's happening there? It's the same environment, the same atmosphere after the day of Pentecost is the same atmosphere that was there at the, at the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Notice that in both Acts 2 verse 4 outpouring and in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 continued growth. It expressly states both places it says they were in one accord. There's a unity that is there. The point being that the same unity that was present in the upper room, amen, was the same unity that was present in the church after 3,000. In other words, they didn't lose it. The next day after it was gone and the next week after it was gone and two weeks after that, the same unity that had been there in the upper room was the same unity that was there after the Holy Ghost had been poured out. 
Back in December, Pastor Brandon Ball spoke to the system directors at our planning retreat, and he asked us, and I ask you to think about this, what would a 3,000-soul revival do to Living Hope? Could, are we ready for a 3,000-soul revival? Obviously, it would take some changes. We couldn't fit everybody in here in one service. To fit 300 in here, we'd have to have at least 10 services on a Sunday. You all ready for that? God, give us revival. Okay, help stay and help me play music for 10 seconds. We're okay with 250. We're good. We're good. You feel what I'm saying? Having this kind of revival, God's got to know our hearts. Are we ready to put in the work, the effort that it's going to take to have a 3,000 soul revival? Secondly, would it change this church? 3,000 people? coming in from a world of drunkenness and drug addiction and broken families, and they come in and they get the, how many of you know people get the Holy Ghost, they don't get perfect, right? They still got their mess and they still got their problems. Uh, hey Amen. I think that we would, we would be dealing with some identity issues if we had a 3,000 soul revival, but the early church, the Bible says uh, that 3,000 souls were added and they still had the same environment after as they did before. The upper room atmosphere did not conclude at Pentecost. Why? Because they continued steadfastly. They said, I don't care who comes in that back door. We're going to keep on praying. We're going to keep on letting the apostles preach. We're going to keep stay committed to fellowship. Amen. We're going to keep on being committed, amen, to communion. And because of that, their identity didn't change. Because of that, the atmosphere didn't change. The environment didn't change. The measure... I am almost done now, literally. I'm like, the wheels are down. The measure of their commitment to fellowship was in equal measure to how God grew the church. And we, we could say, God, God knows this. All right, God knows this thing, this heart. I'm not talking about that fist sized muscle that's pumping blood through your body, I'm talking about the center of your desires. We could say, God, we want a, th- we want a revival in this city. God, we want a 3,000. I'm going to tell you, if we had a 3,000 soul revival, it would cost a lot of everybody in this room right now. Some of you that have been hem-hawing about being on the praise team, you're going to have to be on the praise team. Some of you that have been hiding your talents and gifts and not getting involved around here because you're not willing to make the commitments, you're going to have to get committed. If we're going to, if we're going to have a 3,000 soul revival, you're going to have to. And those of you that are already involved, it's going to take a lot more than what you're giving right now. There's no way around that. Amen? Y'all still with me? I'm not meaning to be offensive in this. I'm just telling you, revival costs something. And the measure of their commitment to fellowship was the measure of how God was willing to grow the church. Right? Verse 46. They continued daily in the temple, house to house. And verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily. Did did you all miss that? It it wasn't meant to be trigonometry. It meant to be simple. When they got committed to daily fellowship, God said, okay, I'll give you daily revival. When you're willing to be inconvenienced to get across the table from somebody and find out that common interest that you've got and you're willing, amen, to come together with the body, they continue daily in the temple and they continue daily from house to house. And when God saw that they were willing to give daily, he said, then I'll give you daily. Uh, Amen. Can I tell you that God is saying to Living Hope, amen, that when you will get committed to daily, I will give you a daily revival. 
Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost right now that God is saying to this church, I gave you a moment, but I want it to be momentum. Amen. God is saying to this church, I gave you a move on Sunday, but what I want to give you is a movement. But God is saying, I need to know, are you committed to daily? Well, all right, Lord, because pastor is twisting my arm and manipulating me up there behind the pulpit. I'll show up for fall festival once a year. Yeah, I'll show up to, quarter, to, to corporate prayer once a quarter. I'm not going to be at Memorial Day picnic because that's not a spiritual enough event for me. But the early church was committed to daily. Daily. They were either in the temple or they were house to house. They were fellowshipping with one another. They were getting that new convert that came in the back door and they were saying, hey, I like riding, riding motorcycles. How about you? If there's a, co- I like drinking coffee. How about, I want to find that common interest and then I want to participate in it. And that is how we sustain revival. Uh, that is how a Sunday morning movement, uh, a Sunday morning move of God becomes a movement that sweeps the city. That's how we stop having people walk in the front door and walk out the back door is when we get committed to to daily fellowship. Stand with me if you would. If we truly, there's no way around it. There's no easy way around it. If we truly want to be a growing church. How many of you believe God wants to give us a revival that every week we come there's more people? I think, I think the writer gave it away. He said, this is how it should happen, such as should be saved. It should happen. It shouldn't shock us when we set out chairs on Sunday. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. I mean, I'm thankful it happened Sunday, but it, shouldn't, it should be just common around here that we're having. Next Sunday, we've got the front covered, and we're having to set up seats out in the foyer. Come on, some of you are battling in your spirit right now because you're recognizing what revival costs. Amen. I want this church to impact every culture in this city. I want this church to impact government in this city. I want this church to impact education in this city. Amen. I want this church to impact every neighborhood in this city. Amen. But it starts when we say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to get committed to fellowship. Josh, let's, let's find a common interest. Mike, let's find a common interest. You like coffee, Mike? Yeah, it's all right. What do you, what do you, you like food? You like steak? What'd you sign up for? Uh, <laughs> my wife threatened to leave me if I rode a motorcycle. We can find something though, Mike. You like steak? All right. He's like, for the sake of time and embarrassment, I like steak. All right. so, so my point being, Mike, let's connect. Seriously, let's get together in the next few weeks. Let's have fellowship. I want to get to know you a little bit. I don't just want to see you on Sunday. I want to get to know you. You know why? So that when you, when you go through a storm, Mike, and when the enemy starts to tug it, you got to have some relationships in the church that keep you anchored. Everybody needs that. I need that. You need that. It is not good for man to be alone. And some of you are trying to make it on your own. Well, nobody's come to me. Well, guess what? you got, you got two feet as well. Nobody calls me. You got a phone too. Don't buy into the enemy's excuse that he feeds you. Nobody ever tells me they love me. When's the last time you told somebody you love them? Come on. 
Amen? Everybody in this church, I know you need fellowship. You need connections. You need relationship. That's already happening. Look at that. We got spontaneous love breaking out. It is spiritual. It really is, church. It really is. I don't want to see anybody else leave because they didn't have anything holding them here. They didn't have any relationships. So I want to challenge us tonight. We're going to be committed to those corporate prayer, the apostles' doctrine. We're not giving up on doctrine. We're not giving up on prayer. We're going to be committed to communion, remembering the body of Christ, and we're going to be committed to fellowship. Amen. I want you to find one person right now. I just want you to take them by the hand. We're going to pray together right now that God is going to help us. I, I know those, those interest groups we did a little bit ago, some of you might think that's frivolous. There's pastor again with those frivolous fellowship events he likes to do. It's not, it's not frivolous. It's, it's really not. It's how we sustain revival. It's how we sustain the move of God. Come on, Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray right now for relationships. I pray for koinonia, for fellowship. I pray, God, that we would move from our comfort zones and find others in this church who have a common interest. I may not have everything in common, but I've got to have, I know I have something in common with you. I know there's something that we have in common. I want to focus on that thing we have in common. I want to use that common interest that we have and build relationship so that when the enemy comes and whispers in your ear and says nobody loves you, nobody cares about you, if you didn't show up to church, they wouldn't even know it. So when the enemy tries to lie to you, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt it's the enemy speaking. And there are people in this body that love you. And there are people that care about you. Yes, God, I pray that you would anoint this church, God, with fellowship. Lord, that when you pour out your spirit on one Sunday, that, God, we don't have to fear that it's lightning in a bottle. But, Lord, we have confidence. Don't worry, next Sunday it's going to be even better. And the Sunday after that, it's just going to be even better. Amen. The Lord is just going to keep adding to the church daily because we are a church that is committed to daily. Come on, what if every day the rest of this week you just text one person this church? Hey, I just want you to know I love you and I'm praying for you. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus. I'm gonna wait.